The gospel reading this morning is from Luke 12, 13 through 34. <clears throat> Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said <clears throat> to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The word of the Lord. We're continuing this morning um, in our study of these parables, these stories that Jesus told. In particular, we're looking at Jesus as he travels um, towards Jerusalem in Luke's gospel. That along the way, Luke records all of these encounters that Jesus has. We've seen him encounter a law expert who asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. We saw last week um, his disciples, his very own disciples who've been with him a long time, they probably see other people asking Jesus questions, and they're like, we've got a few questions of our own. How do we pray? And Jesus tells them a parable. And then this morning, as you heard, as Lisa read for us, we have this man in the crowd who has a question about his inheritance, has a question about money. And Jesus, once again, responds with a story, responds with a parable that we're going to look at this morning. And then he tells us um, a little bit of a sermon, um, a famous part of the Sermon of the Mount. So before we look at this, um, let me go to him and ask that he would help us. Father, your word tells us that um, 
we are to be content. And Father, we confess this morning, and we already have, that it's um, really hard for us to be content because at the end of the day, it's really hard for us to trust you. It's hard for us to trust that you will provide, that you are in control. Um, Father, we are eager to take matters into our own hands, and so we thank you this morning that what we get to do is we get to listen to Jesus as he is standing on this earth that he created in the flesh, talking to people who have the same concerns, the same questions that we do, and we get to listen to his teaching. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be open uh, to receiving it this morning and that we might do that so that we might glorify you with our own lives and so that you might conform us more and more to the image of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So every year, I looked this up this week, every year Americans spend $70 billion on one item. Now they might spend $70 billion on a lot of items, but I'm thinking of one item in particular. It's an item that is really, in and of itself, is, is kind of useless and kind of worthless, and everyone who buys this particular item, except for maybe one, ends up throwing it away within a matter of days or in a matter of weeks. Do you all know what that item is? It's like a I've never started with a riddle before. It's sort of a riddle. What is that item? Does anybody have any idea what that item might be? A lottery ticket, right? It's, it, you, it's an easy one to guess. It's been in the news a lot this week. $70 million um, are spent every year on lottery tickets. And maybe a few weeks ago, a few months ago, about 25 minutes from here, somebody walked into the KC Mart number 7 in Simpsonville, South Carolina, and they bought a lottery ticket. And this week, as you probably heard, they received, for that little piece of paper, they received $1.6 billion, like billion dollars, right? (laughs) Uh, It's a lot of money. And you've had that conversation probably this week. Um, What would you do with with $1.6 billion? I was having that conversation not long ago with somebody, and I think that um, we have all of these thoughts at first about like philanthropy and how all the good things that we could do with that money, but there is that part of us that's like, yes, I'll do a lot of good things, but now I'll finally be secure. This is what it takes to be secure. What is it, what is it about money that deep down, almost everybody in this room, to some degree, I'm sure, struggles with the lure of of money. Why is it that Jesus talks about money so frequently and with such passion? Whether we have lots of money or whether we are here this morning and we almost have no money at all, almost everyone deep down agrees to some some degree, and unless you're the notorious B.I.G. who said, Mo' money, more problems, which I was going to name the sermon. (laughs) Almost everyone agrees, if I just had a little more money, things would be better. If I just had a little bit more money, my life would really be 
better. It will bring more security. It will bring more comfort. And money, obviously, Jesus does talk about it a lot. Money was one of the biggest idols in his day. And I think that every century that has passed since Jesus ascended into heaven, we could probably agree that it remains on the very top of the list of the things that we look to to replace God. It is really high up there. It is really attractive. And so in just a few statements that make us really uncomfortable, Jesus seems to disagree with everything that I just described that is rooted down deep in our heart that proclaims to us, if I have more money, I'll actually have less problems. If I have more money, I'll actually have more security. You see, what Jesus is saying is not that um, money is itself evil or that money is wrong. Money is neutral. Money in and of itself is a fine thing, like many other fine things that exist in this world. What he is saying is that money in particular does have this incredible power to it. And so our hearts, being bent like they are, can do things that have, they can do the wrong thing with things that have incredible power. And so I want to just look at, I want to look at two things this morning from this passage. I'm going to spend a lot more time on the first one, and then we'll, we'll think for a few minutes um, about things that I think you already know, many of you, and already believe, but I don't want to, I don't want to end without meditating on them. We want to look at the deceitfulness of money. And then we want to look at the freedom that Jesus is actually offering us. That's something that is better. It's better, far better than money. Because what really Jesus is asking, and I think as we go through these parables, what you'll see over and over again is the question that is underneath a lot of these these stories that he tells is this one question. Where does your faith rest? What is it that you trust? Who is your God? What do you actually worship? And isn't it rude of Jesus, right? I mean, you know, you can talk about these other things that we love to talk about, we want to hear you talk about, but then you start meddling in our finances. And you may meddle sort of in our bedrooms, or you may meddle sort of in our politics. And Jesus loves us enough to meddle in the places that make us most uncomfortable because it's those places we don't want him to touch is where we need the gospel to go the deepest. And so let's think about this morning the deceitfulness of money. There's, there's many ways, I think, in which money can greatly deceive us, but there are, I think, a few particular ways that Jesus shows in this passage. And what sparks the conversation is that this man um, in the crowd just speaks up And he asks a question to Jesus. He says, Jesus, tell, not really a question, it's really more of a command. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this is probably the younger brother. The older brother usually had um, authority, was given authority over the inheritance, and he was seen fit to distribute it. The younger brother doesn't feel like he's getting the fair share of the cut, And so this man uh, calls out to Jesus and asks him, Teacher, can you help me with this problem I'm having with my brother? I need my fair share of the inheritance. And that sounds really weird to us because it's sort of like if today somebody um, called out and was like, Pastor, um, can you help me with my inheritance? 
That would be a really strange thing to do, and most of you are, know me well enough to know you don't want me touching or dividing your inheritance. Um, there's, there's experts here that can do that. Um, Jesus in this day was seen as, and was a teacher, he was a rabbi, and a lot of rabbis served as judges in cases like this. And so they actually helped people um, really with these kind of disputes and these family disputes over how to divide their inheritance. But Jesus will have none of it. Jesus um, doesn't want to answer this question. In fact, Jesus says to him, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And in essence, what Jesus is already starting to press into with this man and with this whole crowd watching is that um, everyone else is kind of leaning in going, well, that's a good question um, because I'm going to maybe have an inheritance one day too and I want to see what this really wise teacher has to say about it. And Jesus says, I don't want anything to do with that because what I've come to give you is so much better than your measly $30,000, $30 million. It doesn't compare with what I'm here to do. It doesn't compare with what I've come to actually bring to you. And so Jesus just completely disregards his question altogether and says, I'm not going to settle this dispute, but I am going to take this moment to say a few things that I want to say to you. And he says it to the whole crowd. And it seems that this question is, I think it's, I may be reading into this, but I think that it's irritated Jesus in a way that he says, you know, this family is probably split and getting broken up over money, over an inheritance, and I'm standing here on this earth coming to bring dead people to life, coming to give them an inheritance that will never perish And what they want me to do, of all the questions they could ask me, they want me to help divide this measly sum of money. And they're missing the entire point. Because their hearts, and they don't know it, but their hearts are consumed with greed. This man is deceived, and what Jesus knows, if this man is deceived, he knows there's many many others in the crowd who are deceived as well. And so... There's three things I want to say about greed and the way that it works, and I think Jesus is pointing these out to us. And the first thing is this, is that greed deceives us primarily by making us think that we're not greedy. Now, not everything else works that way with sin, but with greed it specifically does, that greed deceives us by making us think that we are not greedy. Therefore, you might be caught in a snare and a trap of greed, but one of the main characteristics of greed is it makes you think that's exactly the thing that you don't struggle with. And Jesus alludes to this, I mean, or he shows us this by the way that he responds because he he basically turns to the crowd and he says to them, the language is strong in the original, It's, it's watch out, take care, be on guard against all greed, Teacher, divide the inheritance with me. Jesus turns instead, says, no, but everyone else, you see this? You better watch out. You better take care. You better be on guard against all greed and covetousness because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now, why would he respond that way? Why does he say, watch out? Because one of the main ways that the idol of money primarily deceives us is making us believe that, in fact, we do not in any way actually struggle with that. This is why Jesus has to tell them to be on guard. Jesus doesn't do this with something like sexual immorality. 
Because when you're maybe caught in adultery, you know what you're doing, right? You're not deceived by that. You may kind of think that maybe it's okay for you to do, but it's pretty obvious what you're doing. And what Jesus is saying is greed roots itself deeply in our heart to a degree that we may not even know that it is there. And so he tells them especially to be on guard against it. You'll find very few people, I think, at least in my experience, who would say that, you know, the truth is I'm really greedy. I mean, just think about it. Think about, like, conversation. You've all had lots of conversations, met many people in your life. Have you ever told, has anyone ever told you that, you know, I, I really think that one of my main issues in life is that I'm really greedy? I would imagine, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, I imagine that probably hasn't happened to very many of us. I think if we polled the room this morning and we asked, what is the thing, I won't do this either, what is the thing you most struggle with in the flesh? Now we're going to come back with a whole lot of um, answers to that question. I, I would dare say that greed probably wouldn't be very close to the top. And yet when we look at our, we really look at our society and we look around us, I think all of us would be quick to say one of the worst problems in our society is greed. And so we're really capable of identifying greed in somebody else and in a culture, we're really bad at identifying greed in ourselves because its primary trait is deceptiveness. So I've been a pastor for almost 16 years now. And so in that time, I've had the privilege to talk to hundreds of people. Um, Hundreds of people in confidence, whether it's over lunch or in office or over coffee. And in my 16 years of meeting with people who have talked about almost everything you can ever imagine hearing, this is why I say you're free to come talk to me if you want. You're not going to surprise me at all. I really feel like I've heard everything under the sun. And I've experienced a lot of it myself. I have had in that time, 16 years, hundreds of people, one person come to talk to me about their greed. And it was a sophomore in college. And she was broken up about the fact that she thought her heart had clung on to the security of money and possessions and what they could bring her. Now, I might get a flood of those um, after this sermon, you know. um, Oh, I struggle with it too, but why did I not hear, why have I not heard that very often? Because its primary trait is deception. Why is that? Because one reason is that no matter where you fall on the financial scale, there is always someone who has more than you do. There's always, and what we tend to think is we think, well, the person who has more than I do, the person who has a lot of money, that's the person that's greedy. But Jesus doesn't make that distinction. You can have lots of money and not be greedy and have almost no money and be consumed with greed. He doesn't make that distinction. And so all of us in this room, I would say, are probably, in, in terms of the worldwide global scale, we fall very near some of the wealthiest people in the world. And a lot of that is just because, maybe it's because of money in the bank, but it's also the availability, can't say that word for some reason, 
Availability of resources that, that many of us have at our fingertips, or the closeness maybe of families who can provide for us if we fall. And yet, being even in maybe that top quadrant of financial resources on a global scale, what we see is that many of our relational issues, many of our marital issues revolve around money or the threat of our money deteriorating. Many of our jobs are geared towards and motivated by whether or not we want to admit it, the increasing desire to have more of not being content at a certain place in life, of not being content at a certain level and standard of living, but thinking, if only I had more. Increasingly, I've seen students um, who are in college not as much because they want to learn how to think and to analyze um, the world and to, to study, but in order to get a job that pays well enough to have the things in life that they view as necessary to have. And don't get me wrong, I think profit is a great thing. I think money is a good thing. It's what Jesus is saying our hands and our hearts do with it that is the issue. That is why it is so tricky. And so this morning, if you're wealthy, if you've got plenty of money in the bank, and I won't define to you for you what wealthy is, but if you know that you're like, I, yeah, I, I'm pretty wealthy, Jesus says to you this morning, he says, watch out. Be on guard. Take care, because greed is so subtly deceptive that you may not know and even realize that its roots have made its way into your heart. And so Jesus says, I want you to be on guard for that. I want you to ask yourself that question that I am asking this crowd. And then to some of us who are here this morning and we think, well, this is a good morning for me to come because this is not applicable to me because I don't have any money or hardly any at all. Jesus says to you too, watch out and be on guard. Because the man who sparks this parable and who sparks this entire conversation is apparently a man who doesn't have much money. And what Jesus is identifying in him is greed. You think that this is going to make your life okay. And Jesus is plainly showing us that it's not. And so greed, it deceives us by making us think that we're not greedy, but it also deceives us, secondly, by making us think that money will provide for us security when in fact, when we trust in it, it provides the opposite. It provides anxiety. And this seems to be the thrust, I think, of what Jesus is showing in this parable. This lure of money, the reason that it's so captivating as an idol is due to the fact that it provides us protection and the security and this comfort. That this man in the parable says, what am I going to do with all of my wealth? I'll, I'll build a bigger barn and then I'll just be able, I'll have sort of a wall of protection around me so that I'll be able to just relax for the rest of life and not have to worry. I won't have to worry about anything else. And in the parable, it's really interesting because I, don't, I didn't look this up, but to, to my knowledge, there is no other place in parables that Jesus told where God speaks to the main character, in this case, the only character in the parable, and calls him a fool. I mean... 
of the, of the, the words that can be applied to a human being who's made in the image of God in Scripture by God, this is one of the strongest ones that can be applied. That God calls out to this man and he says, you are a fool. Friends, I would say to us this morning, this is a warning. If, if we're accumulating money because deep in our heart we feel like it will guard us from the hardships and the difficulties of life, that Jesus is calling you a fool this morning. He is saying, you are a fool. You are doing the exact opposite of what I am calling you to do, and it is foolish. And Jesus loves us enough to tell us that because money cannot bring happiness and it cannot save you from sickness or death. In fact, what we see happening in, 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 this, in this passage, we put our confidence in money or our ability to make money, we end up leaving, living really anxious lives. Why? Because if we're trusting in money, then we're worried about, well, what if somebody burns that barn down? What if somebody breaks in and steals my stuff? This is my security. This is the thing that's going to get me, allow me to live without worry for the rest of the days. And ironically, it's the one thing that you end up worrying about more than anything. Do you see the deceptiveness? Do you see the trap that it is? But finally, greed, it, makes, it deceives us by making, making us increasingly individualistic. I mean, that's fairly obvious, I think. But if you think about it in this passage, and I'll just say a couple of things about this because it's, um, it's interesting in the parable that this man, who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. I mean, I don't know if it occurred to you or not, but like in most parables, there's a conversation or a dialogue going on between different people. But in this parable, this man is utterly alone, and he's having a conversation with himself. It's sort of like, self, what are you going to do with all of your stuff? Well, well, self, I'm going to build a bigger barn. I'm going to hoard it all. And then I won't have to worry about anything for the rest of my days. And God says, you are a lonely, sad fool. There is something that is so much better than that. And what is that? What is it that, that Jesus is offering us? Because here's the thing. We'll never be disenchanted with the lure of wealth as much as we might protest that on the outside, that deep down in our hearts when that lottery ticket you know, when there's $1.6 billion and we think, man, we'll never be disenchanted with that. We'll never see through the lie that that lottery ticket would ruin our life. And it would, just, it would tear up our family. And it would cause probably more anxiety. We'll never be disenchanted with it until we understand the wealth that Jesus possesses and the wealth that Jesus is offering us. This is why he follows up, right? I mean, he tells this parable, and he doesn't, just, he doesn't just walk away after that because, in a sense, it would be a little bit cruel. But Jesus instead tells them this, this beautiful, almost poem that he says, Therefore, you know, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or about your body, what, what you shall put on. And he, he, ends out, he ends the passage saying, You know, all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek my kingdom, and all these things will be added Unto you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All this language that many of you have heard many times before. What is Jesus offering that is better than money? He's offering two things, I think, probably a lot more than that. I'll mention two before we close. 
no more anxiety, and an incorruptible treasure. And the first, I think, the most astounding thing that Jesus tells us right on the heels of this, he's standing there talking to them, looking them in the face, the one who controls everything, the one who spoke the world into existence. And he says to them, you don't have to be anxious if you're with me. You really don't. You don't have to be anxious if you're with me. See, idolatry, putting your hope in anything other than Jesus, it brings anxiety. But if we belong to him, if our life is hidden in him, he says you do not have to worry about such things because I will provide for you. If I came and found you when you were dead and brought you back to life, if I went to the agony of of Calvary for you, if I entered the darkness of the grave for you, if I... Raised from the, I was raised from the dead and, and broke the bond of misery and sin and death for you. Why are you worried, is what Jesus is saying. I will provide some clothes for you. They may not be what you like, right? You know, they may not be the fashion that you like, but I'll clothe you. I'll provide fruit for It may not be like steak every night, but I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. He goes so far to say at the end of this sermon, he goes so far to say this, my little children, it is my father's good pleasure. You want to divide the inheritance? That's fine. It's my father, my heavenly father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And it's as if Jesus is saying, um, do you want to test me? Do you want to test me on that? You're welcome to test me on that. Here's the test. Go out and sell all your possessions and give them to the needy. Go do it, and I'll take care of you. What I have is so, what I'm offering you is that secure that I promise I will take care of you. And that is terribly hard for me to believe, and it's terribly hard, I imagine, for you to believe as well. How could we have no more anxiety? Because secondly, Jesus is offering us a treasure that is incorruptible. There is, there is no thieves that, that can break in and steal it. There's no moths that can come and destroy it. There's no rust that can come to it and decay it. And the reason that you can be free, Jesus is saying, from anxiety is because I'm giving you a treasure that cannot be taken from you because you didn't earn it. It was a free gift. And I'm the one who is keeping it for you. I'm the one that is holding it for you. It's a, the treasure that Jesus offers is this living hope that comes through his death and resurrection. And what is that living hope? That all condemnation has been taken from us, has been stripped from us, has been put upon Jesus, and Jesus has borne the full weight of our condemnation, and you have been clothed in his righteousness and have been adopted into the family of God. And so that you are... A co-heir with Jesus is what the New Testament tells you. That you're a co-heir with Jesus. Jesus is your elder brother. You are with him. Whatever comes to Jesus now comes to you. It is too good to be true. It's hard for us to believe that we could be co-heirs with Jesus. So that you, what that means is you died with him and you rose again to new life with him. And, And what Jesus who's marching to his death is saying to us is that, What else do you need? 
that is your greatest need. God is, no long, God is not against you. He is your Father. He is for you. And what Peter tells us, we looked at this summer about this living hope that we're giving, this inheritance that we're given, is that he says it's imperishable and it's undefiled and it's unfading and it's reserved for you in heaven. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can mess it up. Not even you. This is the incorruptible treasure that could not be taken away from somebody like Paul. When he sat in prison and sat in chains and wrote to believers in Philippi and he tells them and teaches them from prison how to rejoice and then sing songs of praise, I don't think we understand what a disgusting, scary place that Paul must have been in when he wrote that letter and then he sings songs of praise to his God. Can your money do that? Can anything you earn in this life do that for you? It is the uncorruptible treasure that causes us to say, if God is for us, then who can be against us? It causes us to rejoice and say, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, how do, you may be asking, how do I know then he's going to provide for us? It's the same answer that I gave you last week when we say, how do we know he's going to answer? Because we look at where he's going. He's going, as he answers this question, Jesus is marching toward his execution. Jesus is marching for, toward his death for you. And then we look at the empty tomb and we see these things and we see that he does, in fact, love us. And Jesus says, that this should be for us so secure and so good that instead of, of us as Christians and followers of Jesus being known for building bigger barns, that what we should be known for and what should mark us is the liberality with which we give away our stuff because we have an incorruptible treasure that is reserved for us in heaven and can be never taken away from us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus um, has done for us what our hearts most long for and what they most desire. And even as we think about um, the deceitfulness of greed, I pray that you would help us to think about the ways in which it might have already lodged um, itself in our hearts in ways that maybe we haven't seen. So we need your spirit. Um, We need your spirit to root that out, um, to bring us to a place where we can repent of that, and you can bring us back to faith. Father, I pray that um, we would take Jesus' words seriously um, when he tells us that you can trust me enough to actually give away stuff and to help other people, and I'll provide for you. Father, help us um, to be so bold to actually do that in our lives and with our things because we are so secure in what Jesus has done not because we want to earn Jesus' love. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen.